0: My mom ironed my dad's t-shirts. That is no joke. She ironed my dad's t-shirts. So she'd be sitting there ironing t-shirts in front of the television. We had a little black and white portable television. It was one of the first remote control televisions. Now, the first remote control still had a contact tuner. I know, look, for everybody, why am I even telling this story? Y'all don't remember any, there's like six of us that remember this, had a contact tuner and there was this little box you could hold and when you, you pulled back on this spring-loaded thing and it, it went Dink! basically two pieces of metal slapped together off a spring and the noise caused the television to change one channel. <laughs> we only got three channels. <laughs> so you'd go clunk and it'd change a channel, clunk and it changed a channel, clunk and it changed change it. A... The only problem was, and it always worked, just as it came to the channel you wanted because it only went in one direction, it only went clockwise, clunk, it would go chuk chuk and it would move two channels. And then you'd have to go all the way around again to try to catch your channel. My mom would be sitting on this arcane little portable black and white tube television watching Little House on the Prairie. Who said all? I I hated that show. (laughs) It's like, no mom, if you'll just clunk one time, Batman will be on, do you understand? Batman, Little House on the Prairie, come on. By the way, I watched an episode of Batman. I was in Texas this past week, and I watched an episode of Batman on like Me TV or whatever, that oldies show, and that's the dumbest show that's ever been on television. And when I was a kid, I'd I'd tie a towel around my neck, right, for my cape, and I would sit in front of the TV. I think I can still do it. I'm really old, I'm gonna try. I'd sit in front of the TV like this. And I'd want to be Batman so bad. That's all I wanted to be was. Ba- I'd come in, Mom's watching Little House on the Prairie. Now I will confess to you in a little bit of shame, every now and then, I would actually watch too. And I remember one episode where there was this really evil guy. His name was Lassiter. He owned all the guys. Y'all remember Lassiter. Lassiter was always the bad guy, right? He owned all the ground around there. He was like the town rich, greedy, bad guy that always wanted to destroy everything. And Lassiter had basically destroyed the town of Walnut Grove, but it was going to rise from the ashes. And the, the preacher got up at the end. And I remember being kind of hooked because the sappy music kicked in, you know, and, the, and he gave a two-minute sermon about how all things somehow work together for good, Romans eight twenty-eight. I went back and watched it on YouTube, getting ready for today. It's, it's terrible. Theologically, it's just a terrible sermon. It's absolutely pathetic, but it was only two minutes long, and I remember watching it thinking, Why can't our preacher preach for two minutes and then dismiss us? (laughs) That would be awesome because I remember what this guy said and I kind of liked it. Although it was theologically jacked up. That's okay. I kind of liked it. It made me feel good. Why can't we just go sing some songs that I like? You are good. Good. Whoa. Two minute sermon lunch and get out of there. That would be a fantastic Sunday morning. That was well before I fell in love with God. Understand, I'm just a stupid little kid that was annoyed by church badly. But y'all are not annoyed by church, are you? I got to meet Caleb and Eli, and they're awesome. They're, they're, I didn't get to meet you, though, the youngest that obviously belongs to them because y'all were cut of the same physical cloth. What was your name? Daniel. Daniel? Daniel. You're not annoyed by church, are you? Please say no. Thank you so much. So for the good of Daniel... I'm going to do something that is so not me, it's not even funny. I'm going to try to preach a relatively short message. For those of you that I have met in the past, you're laughing right now. Jacob, is, Jacob just wet his britches a little bit, okay? <laughs> He's like, that's never going to happen. He always says this. And then he drones on and on and on about something. What about Little House on the Prairie, man? Shut up. Lunch. So here we go with a short sermon. Let's talk about, I know you just finished a series on Ruth. Let's talk about what I consider to be the most troublesome passage in all of Ruth. Y'all want to do that? I went back and looked to make sure that Jake didn't cover it in depth because I just didn't want to re-preach something he had already covered. And he didn't. So... I'm going to read it to you. It's in Ruth chapter two. This is what it says, starting in verse eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Ruth two, verse eight, if you want to read along. Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not glean in another field or go from there, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink the water from that the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Boaz answered and said, It's been fully reported to me all that you've done your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I'm not like one of your maidservants. It's in there twice. This passage bothers me worse than any passage in the book of Ruth. Now, I'll tell you, for the record, I think I've probably taught through the book of Ruth about 20 times. I run a ministry. Well, I don't really run it anymore. Another guy does. My wife and I had the good fortune of God to have a ministry for young men between the ages of 18 and 25 spring up literally out of our house. It's grown over over the years, past decade and a half. It's now 122 acres and a big log lodge. And at any given time, we have about 25 or 30 guys that live with us in our house. They take eight months away from life to try to figure out the answer to two questions. Who am I and why am I here? I know you think eight months to answer those two questions is kind of a waste of time, but let me just help you out on why this is difficult, okay? And if it's okay, I'm gonna use Alex and Crystal as my example, is that all right? Is that all right, Alex and Crystal? Look, they're so tired, they're not even gonna remember any of this. They drove back from the wedding last night and they're just (laughs) bleary-eyed. Let's just suppose that this morning, Daniel, are you listening to this? Because you gotta get a picture, otherwise it doesn't work. Let's suppose that Alex woke up this morning and because of fatigue and stress and I don't know, strobing headlights, something, really messed his head up and he woke up this morning and he thought I'm Crystal. Everybody got a picture? The dude back there just went, (laughs) I am Crystal. Let me ask you a question. If he really thought that, if he really believed that, how would Alex have dressed this morning? You got a picture Daniel? Can you see him doing his makeup in the mirror in that kind of, right? What car keys would he have grabbed? What cell phone would he grab? What meal would he like? Who would his friends be? What would his job be? See, everything that Alex does every single day is an affirmation of what Alex believes to be true about Alex. Identity controls behavior. You do what you believe to be true about yourself. So Alex dressed like Alex. Talks like Alex, sings like Alex, plays like Alex, does Alex's job, drives Alex's car. The question is, who told you? Who told Alex who Alex is? Isn't that the question that God asked Adam in the Garden of Eden? Adam, where are you? Hiding? Why? Because I am. That's an existential statement. Because I am naked and God went oh who told you that the inference being you didn't get that from me that's not how I define you so I'll ask you who are you and all of a sudden eight months seems like a really short period of time doesn't it who told you There are 17 verses of Scripture in the New Testament about Christ in me, and they're fantastic. We hear them preached all the time. Colossians 2, Christ in me, the hope of glory. How about Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not me. It's Christ. Y'all can, this is the feedback part, because if you actually talk or raise your hand or giggle, I think you're still awake. And it helps me a lot. Okay? It's not me. It's Christ. Oh, come on, y'all. It's It's Christ. Good. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These are fantastic verses. Problem is they're outnumbered 10 to 1 by verses about me in Christ. 10 to 1. There are 170 passages of scripture about me in Christ. Second Corinthians 517 is a good example. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Is that true about you? Is that true about you? Let me ask it this way. Do you act like it? Because whether it's true and whether you believe it aren't always congruent. And now I've got 170 passages of Scripture that tell me who I am. Did you act like those 170 verses were true with your first breath this morning? How desperately would your life change if you looked in the mirror and you said, I'm righteous. I'm redeemed. Because Jesus said that one, you are the light of the world. Is that how we act or have we listened to another voice? The voice of our friends, classmates, peers, co-workers, parents, our boss, our best friend, our worst enemy, husband, wife. What voice do you listen to to figure out who you are? Now here's what's so troubling about that passage of scripture I read. Ruth looked at Boaz and she said, Why have I found favor in your sight? I am a foreigner. That's an existential statement. It's a defining statement. I am a foreigner. Why would you show favor to me? I am a foreigner. We're way past two minutes, aren't we? I am a foreigner. And Boaz says, look, it's been reported to me all that you did for your mother-in-law, how you perpetuated the name of your husband, how you came away from your mother and father to a people that you did not know, how you sought refuge under the wings of God. And how does she respond? Oh, let me find favor in your sight. I'm not like your maidservants. She's arguing with Boaz. Boaz is telling her, this is what I see. And she's going, no, 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 no. That's not who I really am. I want to invite you to do an exercise with me. I want you to think really quick. Dan, did you like puppy dogs? I I do too. I've got one. Well, he's not. I call him a puppy. He's five years old. But he's kind of a big dog. Now, I want you to imagine when that little dog was just first born, okay? I'm talking about eight weeks, 12 weeks old, six weeks old, y'all got a picture, little bitty puppy, and everybody's all, going, aw, that little thing's happening, right? So you find it, you walk in front of Walmart and they're in a cardboard box of free puppies on the outside and you reach inside and you pick this thing up, right? And it's making the little puppy dog coo noises and you hold it up next to you. What does it do when you pick it up here? It pees on you. <laughs> That's what it does, it pees on you. And you go, oh, 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 but it's a pole, a puppy right? I mean, I was going to use your kid as the example, but I didn't want to throw your kid under the bus. But I mean, what, right? And then you take the puppy home and the puppy grows teeth and it chews the legs off your furniture. And then it poops on your carpet. And then in the middle of the night, it cries all night. Oh wait, that was your baby again. I'm sorry. <laughs> because it poops on you and it chews up your furniture and it eats your checkbook to death. And it cries all night and wakes you up. And yet you go, oh a puppy, or oh, my child. Your newborn infant can do nothing for you, zero. It takes from you, it is the bastion of self-servitude. It's a giant life sucker. And yet you hold it so tight and you would live or die for its good because that's your child, because that's your puppy. See, there is an image within us that's born of God and it does not necessarily love because of the reciprocation of love. It loves because there's a whisper of God inside of us. And God is love. So I wanna jump from Ruth real quickly. I am a foreigner. I am not like your maidservants. That's Ruth's perspective. I wanna give you a different perspective. At Narrowgate, I consistently teach three books of the Bible, actually two and a half if you wanna get technical. I teach the book of Ephesians. I teach the book of Ruth to 18 to 25 year old guys because they need to be convinced that God actually loves them. And then I teach the first half of the book of Romans, which is really the gospel according to Paul. If you want to know how it lines up, the gospel according to Matthew, then according to Mark, then according to Luke, those are kind of all three the same. The gospel according to John, which is a little different. And then you got Luke part two, that's Acts. And the next thing you get is the gospel according to Paul. That's why it's lined up right like that. So I teach these three things, Ephesians, Ruth, and the first half of Romans. So I'm going to link Ephesians and Ruth together. Let's go to the opening of Ephesians and look at the third chapter, and this is what it says. You don't actually have to go there. Let me just tell you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's a pretty magnanimous verse, isn't it? Look, those are the kind that you usually just read on across, because that's like the intro to the letter or something. Oh, hi, I hope your mom and them are good. And y'all say mom and them over here? I think you do. Y'all are more hillbilly than we are. So, yeah, <laughs> Haiti mom and them. So, and it got Asheville back there in the back, which is like the bastion of hillbilliness right there. That's they, they invented hillbilliness. Is hillbilliness a thing? I, we're gonna say it is now. <laughs> Haiti mom and them. It's not Haiti mom and them. It's the breath of God and the words matter. Now, look, I don't want you to turn off just because I'm about to say the word Greek. Don't do that. Okay. Uh, don't just listen to me. The word bless is in this verse three times. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And English is a terrible language. If, if Greek is a, a Ferrari testerosa, English, is a 1972 Chevy Malibu. (laughs) It's a terrible, horrible thing, but it's what we have to work with. And trying to get something out of this language that they were writing in into our language. Look, God doesn't need great translatory skills to get his message across, but sometimes if you dig a little deeper, you find something a little bit richer. So this first word, blessed be the God and father of our blessed. It's the root of the word adore to bless in Hebrew meant to kneel or to bow it used to confuse me. church as a kid. Look, that's the most confusing thing on earth to me. Church as a kid, or maybe that was just my experience. That's definitely not Daniel's experience or Caleb or Eli or any of them to me. How can you say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me, bless his holy name, when God is the one from whom all blessings flow? Is, that, is it just me? or Like my brain would get twisted up on that stuff, and then I'd just check out for fear of schizophrenia. Bless, adore. Let me, let me do it this way. To kneel or bow. Once you understand that, kneel and bow to the Lord. My soul kneels and bows in the presence of God you can think about it this way. We'll use Alex and and Crystal again. When you asked Crystal to marry you, what position were you in? Kneeling. You know why? Because she's adorable. Like, I promise you, the world of Middle Tennessee stood in awe when Crystal said yes. Like, really? To Alex? It's just the blessing of God. It's how it works. Schmoes like us get unbelievable wives because God's just that good. See, He adores her, so He kneels before her. He blesses her. And that's the word that we're talking about. Blessed be the God and father, the adorable God, the God whom I adore, the God who everything in me bows and kneels and worships in it. Blessed be the God and the father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Wait, how does this work? Because it's a different word. That first one was a word called eulogato. This one is eulogia. If I say eulogia, what do you hear? What English word do you hear? Eulogy. That's exactly right. The adorable God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has pronounced a eulogy. Now, for those of you who have been to a funeral, have you ever heard a eulogy go like this? Well, I ain't sure what to say about old Bill. Uh, He lied a bunch. I didn't like him much. He's meaner than a snake. Truth is, the world's better off with him being dead, so I reckon so long, and I probably won't see you after this, because where you're going, I doubt I'll be. Anybody ever hear that eulogy? No, you didn't hear that eulogy. That's not how eulogies go. A final, unchangeable, spoken truth. An indelible, absolute, spoken truth. The adorable God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed, eulogized us. There is a declaration going on in heaven right now That's indelible, it's unchangeable. By God the Father. And you go, okay, well, what's he saying? Well, I knew old Bill, he's kind of a liar. (laughs) No, the next one, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, and that word is julegeo, it means an abundant commendation. God is standing in heaven, commending us abundantly. We can say it this way, the adorable God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ has spoken a final absolute and unchangeable truth in heaven, declaring that we are to be abundantly commended in the heavenly places. Why? Because we are now we're back to our hundred and seventy verses in Christ. Look, that's the truth. Do you believe it? Whether or not it's true is not up for grabs. That's not up for debate today. Do you believe it? Ruth's perspective. I am a foreigner and I'm not like your maidservants. God's perspective. You are to be abundantly commended for all of eternity for one simple reason, because you're hidden in Christ. It's God looking at us going, oh, a puppy. Or, oh, my child. Are you metaphorically going to pee on him and chew the furniture legs off and empty his wallet? Yeah, you are. Do you have anything to offer the equation? Not really. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Anything good that happens, happens by Christ through you. Which is why Galatians 220 is so important. See, it's not me necessarily living my life for him. I've been crucified already. It's now him living his life through me. So he supplies everything that's good and then he gives credit for everything that's good. And we're simply in the flow of that. Ruth's perspective: I'm a foreigner. I'm unworthy why would I ever find favor in your sight? And I'm going to tell you why that's so bothersome to me because most days I live right there. Look, I know if, if, if you do what I do for a living, you're not supposed to live there. I get it. But if you do what you do for a living, you're not supposed to live there either. So we're on the same ground. We're on this journey together. There's nothing that makes me special. There's nothing that makes me different. I'm just as busted up, just as jacked up and twisted and backward and tripping and stumbling through this thing as you are. They just gave me the microphone today. God's perspective, my child. He's screaming his full head off if he had one. I would invite you to do this. Read through the New Testament and find me the passage of scripture that labels the sins of the Old Testament patriarchs. Try Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. Abraham not wavering in his faith. Really, have you read the story? (laughs) Sarah laughed so hard at the idea she fell over on her face. Abraham messed this thing up at every turn. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Samson, Barak, Jephthah, and also David, Samuel, and the prophets. Look, this is a litany of people who did it backward at every single step. And yet God has their names recorded in Hebrews without their sin attached. Do you want to know why? Because between the book of Judges, where they are, and the book of Hebrews, where it's recorded There's a cross. That's why. In Christ. You are to be abundantly commended in Christ. So, how do you make the jump? From Ruth's perspective to the perspective of God in Ephesians. Last piece. Everybody knows Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Don't you hate verses like that? It's like, why would you preach that? And I know that. We just, look, that's her perspective. The next three words in English, the next two in Greek. Y'all want the Greek ones? You can go look them up if you want to. It's called Dorian. Sounds impressive, doesn't it? (laughs) This is what it, the first one is this, being justified. It's the word, dikai is the word for, for just, to justify. It's that word in a tense that we don't even have in English. It's called the present imperative. It means if it's now, it's true. That's, it, just, it just always is. We call it the infinitive in English. The to be, is, am, or was, were, be, been, and being. The, the infinitive, the to be. We got a school teacher back here, so I got a fact check. That's it, right? No, you teach PE, so you don't know. Okay. So is, am, or was, were, be, been, and being. That's the infinitive. The to be verb means it's an existential statement. If it's now, it is true. I like to think of it as the verb tense of God. It's the never-ending right now, because that's how God lives, in the never-ending now. So, in other words, if it's now, you are justified. So, let me ask you this: Is it now? 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 You get it? Now? 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 Then now? Now? Right? If it's now, you're just you are justified right now. Now and now, you get your head wrapped around that one, and then you attach the second word to it, Dorian freely. If it's now you're justified and you're justified freely, but freely, that's a tough one to get forward. It only exists one other place in the new Testament. It's in John 15, 25. And it says this, this happened to fulfill the world word. They hated me. And here it is without a cause freely is without a cause. You didn't cause it. You are justified right now and you didn't cause it here's the trick. And here's the whole sermon. See, that was just the preamble. Now I'm going to preach a two minute sermon. I know how you see yourself, just like I do. I know the flaws you see, just like I do. Ruth's problem was that she couldn't understand Boaz's love because she was seeing it from her perspective. God says, I don't see it from your perspective. I love you and you didn't cause it. Puppies don't cause you to love them. Babies don't cause you to love them. That's my heart in you. You simply love, even though it has great cost attached. You love. Without a cause. So how do we deal with this? perspective of Ruth and perspective of God. We listen to the truth of God in the center and we understand that we are being justified, that we are loved. We are filled with grace and we are called his children, not because of anything we did, but because of everything that he is. It really is that simple and it really is that hard. Ruth's problem was that she didn't see it through the eyes of Boaz. And our problem typically is that we don't see it through the eyes of God. And as long as you look in the mirror and you see you, you'll stay where you are. But what if, what if today we agreed, I'm going to go home. I really want you to do this. I want you to go home and look in the mirror. And say just one time, even though you don't emotionally agree with it, I want you to agree in truth one time and say, what I see is the righteous, redeemed, sanctified son or daughter of God Almighty. Now, God, give me the grace to believe that's true and to act in accordance The most troublesome passage in Ruth is the one that looks most like me. You are good. You are good. Whoa. Give me wisdom to see things like you do. Isn't that what we say? Father, would you give us wisdom to see things like you do? Would you give us a heart of willing, empowering grace that just once takes a breath in and realizes that's you and then lets that breath out in a way that you pass through us, that we believe your love for us, and somehow the people we encounter meet you. We ask it in Jesus' name, in Christ. Amen.